What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Sooner Nation, the online podcast. Pod, pod, I, my English. I've been speaking Spanish for so long, Rich, but my English is fading on me. The podcast are hardly No, I don't. No hablo español. No hablo uh, Anyway, so uh, <laughs> this is like going to be one of the greatest entries ever to uh, to our podcast. Hey, welcome back to the United States, my man. Yeah, thanks. I, I can't say the same for you, but I'm just going to throw this out there. There's nothing quite like sleeping in your own bed. Um, I wouldn't know because I haven't done that in a while. So uh, let's let's weeks. jump in here. A lot. Has it only been two weeks I've been gone? I mean, today's the, I the feel like, 15th of January. Yeah, I left on the 30th. It's been a little bit longer than two weeks, but still got over two months to go. Um, Kyler Murray makes his decision for his future. Oklahoma is no longer in the picture. It was always a long shot for Kyler, but I feel like as long as there was a chance, which was greater than zero, it was at least worth talking about and discussing. But he's gone. Um, you you posed a question about who is going to be the best quarterback in the draft coming up this spring. I, I think there's more questions that are pressing other than that because, first of all, I, I like – I mean, I, I don't like Cliff Kingsbury, but for Kyler's sake, I do like Cliff Kingsbury having that number one overall pick in the draft. And is it possible? I mean, you talk about a guy who's no longer in the footsteps of Baker Mayfield. He's kind of stepped out of that shadow and is creating his own. Is it possible for Oklahoma to have back-to-back Heisman winners and then back-to-back overall top picks in the draft? How far? can Kyler's stock rise now that he's committed to the NFL? And then the other question to throw out there is, is the NFL just kind of like a placeholder for him as far as getting leverage for more money from Major League Baseball? There's lots of angles you can go with this story on Kyler Murray, but the, the reality is at this point, the only thing we know for sure for Kyler Murray is that he's done at the University of Oklahoma. Let me weigh in on a couple of topics that you threw out there. First and foremost, is Kyler Murray the best quarterback in the draft? I I don't know that answer because when you go from, or is he the best, is he the most draftable, if you will, quarterback? Maybe, Maybe the better question there. And there are a lot of enticing things about Kyler Murray. Everyone talks about his speed. Everyone talks about his ability as a playmaker when compared to a guy like Dwayne Haskins, who is a phenomenal pocket passer. However, when that pocket begins to collapse and he feels a little bit of pressure, his numbers take a significant hit. Is that something that he can improve upon? Absolutely. And it's going to be an argument that we see continue all the way through the combine up until draft day. Right now, I fully believe that Dwayne Haskins will be a Jacksonville Jaguar, and I believe Jacksonville may very well trade up to ensure that he's available at the spot that they would like him because I don't think Arizona is taking a quarterback, regardless of what Cliff Kingsbury says. Nick Bosa, the best option in this draft, will be the number one pick unless there's some complete surprise. You know, he's withdrawn from school. They talked about the injury. Now he's focusing on his preparations for the NFL draft and more specifically the combine that's coming up. Unless something happens, like I said, Nick Bosa 
is that number one overall pick. He's the best available option, and it's difficult to pass on a guy like that, especially when there's not any dominant offensive tackles or offensive linemen that can compete with that level of talent, a game-changing talent in Nick Bosa. Anyway, when we look at Kyler Murray, I believe, Matt, you had mentioned leverage. Is Kyler Murray holding out, or is he using this as a bargaining chip? That's very possible, but when you look at the money, I wrote a post on this today. The number six overall pick last year, I bet you can't even name who it was, so I'll tell you. It was Quinnen Nelson, and he signed a contract worth 20, $24.2 million with a $15 million signing bonus. It's difficult when you're looking at the MLB and they're throwing a 4.66 figure his way when he's projected by numerous outlets as the number six overall pick in this year's NFL draft. 15 versus 4.6. It's not hard to know which one is greater. There's a little more enticement in the NFL, and unless the MLB can match it, it's going to be hard for, for Kyler to be swayed, in my opinion. Well, and that's why Kyler was, you know, the, the number that they were throwing out there, and there's there's various reports whether it was Kyler that was asking for it or whether there's just a number that was tossed around by Major League Baseball was $15 million is because in that that range where they're expecting Kyler to be drafted, that $15 million is the only thing that's guaranteed. You, you The contract's not going to be guaranteed, but the signing bonus will be, which is exactly what he got from Oakland. It was the $4.66 million from the Oakland Athletics was the signing bonus. The contract's not guaranteed. And so that's where that, that dollar figure is coming from. But I, I got two things. You know, you talk about Nick Bosa. I, I don't want to question the guy's ability. You know, he, he's, he's a good defensive end. Last year was one of the top defensive ends in the country. I guess a year ago and then this last season with the injury. But I think there are questions about a guy like Nick Bosa on two fronts. Number one, how healthy is he? And number two, I mean, Rodney Anderson is going to have the same thing. I, I feel like anytime you withdraw from school and, and you, you move away from your team, I, I think when you look at what's going on with, with like Antonio Brown uh, for Pittsburgh and, and you know, those, those type of things – what player GMs want to know, are you going to be a team guy? And, and those things, they, they seem so minor at this point, but when you're talking about the number one overall pick and you double that $15 million uh, guaranteed money that you're talking about, you want to know every little detail. And I, I think that maybe is a potential harmful factor for Nick Bosa. But the other thing I'm looking at is, When's the last time – when have you ever known Cliff Kingsbury to ever do anything defensively first? I mean, that's a legitimate question. When has he ever put defense ahead of offense? He hasn't. And unfortunately, well, then, he's a first-year coach. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I don't I, – I, we're still, you know, three months away from the, from the draft, but – Man, I'm I'm telling you, Cliff Kingsbury is thinking offense right now. When you look at Arizona and you look at what they have lacked the last couple of seasons, it's been offense. And they've got a young quarterback, but is he is he going to pan out? Can you make him a trade bait type thing? Get, dump him? I, I don't know. I don't know if Kyler Murray is the top quarterback in this year's NFL draft. I really don't. But what I do know is he's the most intriguing player 
in the entire draft. Uh, Dwayne Haskins is going to get a lot of publicity and a lot of talk. Well, I'm curious to see what his combine is. But if Kyler runs at the combine, I mean, it's going to be something special. And and then there's another guy in this mix that we're not talking about. But in my opinion, he's the most prototypical NFL-ready guy in this draft, and that's Drew Locke from Missouri. I, they, they've been raving on this kid for two seasons now. He chose to go back to Missouri, Oklahoma facing the Liberty Bowl, but watch out for him and, and see if he doesn't make some moves as far as getting getting up in, in that top 10 range uh, in the NFL draft. The question is, uh, to me, when it comes to Kyler Murray, and I think the answer, I'm gonna throw out the answer before I ask the question. I think the answer is absolutely yes. Is he first-round talent? I think not only is he first-round talent, I think he, like you said, he's top 10 talent, and he's a guy that's going to make history by being the first-ever player to be drafted first-round in Major League Baseball and first-round in the NFL. But what no one knows about this guy is where is his future? Is it Major League Baseball? Is it NFL? Or is it both? Yeah, yeah. And at this point, it's going to remain anyone's guess as to what happens and how the situation unfolds. I know there are a lot of questions surrounding Kyler Murray because I've seen reports Oklahoma has him listed at 5'10". People are saying that he's 5'9". Others are saying if he was three inches taller, he would undoubtedly be the number one overall pick in this NFL draft. There's just a lot of questions, a lot of concerns that surround Kyler Murray. But I I do agree with you, and I think a majority of people would jump on board with us in saying that Kyler Murray is worthy of first-round consideration. I would even go as far as saying, and you're saying the same thing, I've said it once, this is my second time, that Kyler Murray is worthy of, of top 10 I mean, just a top 10 look, even. I don't think this is an extremely deep class, draft class, that is, when it comes to quarterbacks. You probably have three three who are taken in the first round, but this is a, a class that is heavy on the defensive side of the ball, and the first round is going to be filled up with all sorts of defenders until the late first round when we start seeing those offensive linemen taken and potentially wide receivers. Yeah, I think you're right on the quarterback number um, when, when you include Kyler Murray. I, I think your your first-round talent at this point right now is, you know, obviously we've talked about these three guys, Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, and then Drew Locke. But I'm curious to see what happens to Will Greer, uh, another guy that, that seems to be NFL-ready. But at this point, I would grade him as an early second-round pick. So making that that's making three guys, uh, three signal callers going in the first round. And you, you, you talked about Kyler Murray's size. You know, Mike Houck, once, uh, once everything started going and, and, and Kyler, uh, Kyler announced he, was, uh, he declared for the draft, uh, Mike Houck went to Twitter to try to correct what you're saying. Um, he says, before this season, our strengths staff measured him, being Kyler Murray, at 5'9 and 7 eighths. In socks, so I don't know. I I, I think I think the precedent. I, I I think that the NFL and with offenses moving the way they have, particularly with Cliff Kingsbury coming and and more coaches along that genre coming to the NFL, 
um, I, th I think the the stereotype that the quarterback has to be six five, that's that that's old. Now you you look at the success of Drew Brees, you look at the success of Russell Wilson. It kind of busts that bubble of the of the necessity for a tall quarterback. I don't disagree with you. And one thing that we haven't mentioned at this point has been the fact that a lot of these offensive minds from the NFL are making a journey to Oklahoma in the off season. What for? Right. To learn the offense that Lincoln Riley has implemented on the collegiate level and some of the tactics or some of the schemes that he is running. If those translate to the NFL like they have already started to do, I think it benefits these athletic guys who, who can make plays with their feet when the pocket breaks down. You've got Baker Mayfield, who may very well be the rookie of the year. He did it last season. You've got Russell Wilson, who's a, a Super Bowl winner, who's doing it. You're just seeing more and more of these athletic guys, Cam Newton, Jameis Winston. Now, now they don't meet the height requirements that we're talking about, but they're extremely athletic guys who are really combating what we initially thought the quarterback position should do on the field in the NFL. Kyler Murray is going to step right in, and he's going to break that mold just a little bit further, if not completely remove it, because Kyler Murray, regardless of where he's taken, he is going to be the shortest quarterback to enter the NFL. I say shortest quarterback to enter the NFL. I'm talking about starting quarterbacks who have played in the NFL because I haven't kept track of every single quarterback who's ever played, but who would step into a starting role. He's going to be the shortest quarterback, the shortest player at the position since Doug Flutie. Hmm. He's Rich. I'm Matt. You listen to Heartland Sports uh, Podcast, Sooner Nation. The next big day that you want to mark down for Kyler Murray and help, uh, help if you're trying to figure out his future. I think for most Oklahoma fans, they just want to know where was Oklahoma in his future now that they know that it's not there, they're just cheering for the best for him. But if you're trying to figure out what he's going to do, the next date you want to mark on your calendar is February 26th. That's when the NFL Combine begins. That's not to say he's going to run and test on that day, but uh, he will have the, he will be at the Combine, and you're going to want to pay, pay attention to that just to see what happens there with his testing. And then between now and then, I would expect there to be more talks between him and the Oakland Athletics major league baseball in general um i did think it was interesting now we, we want to close out kyler murray talking and move on to other players from oklahoma who could be going in the first round of the nfl draft this year but i i rich i want to say this in conclusion on kyler murray i thought it was pretty interesting that major league baseball sent pr reps with the oakland athletics to meet with kyler murray on sunday it's not every day that the that the league itself sends its people uh, to meet with a potential prospect yeah, I had no idea that happened. Every report I saw obviously mentioned the Billy Bean, and then it, it used this coined phrase of big brass coming with them. I just took it at face value and, and let it be. Yeah, well, Big Brass was actually some people from the NBA. I'm NBA. I'm sorry. I just looked at the, the underscore. Uh, people from the Major League Baseball. I mean, not – not just Oakland Athletics, but representatives from Major League Baseball itself were there as well. All right, so who, who else do you have from Oklahoma going in the first round, Rich? 
You know, at this point in time, I, I really like Cody Ford as a late first-round pick. As I've mentioned, this, this draft class is littered with defensive talent, and it's going to be hard for these uh, franchises to skip on a need, especially a guy who can step in and contribute immediately on that side of the ball when it comes to the defensive line or even at cornerback. So looking at offensive linemen, I think they begin to be taken off the board later in the first round, as I said, and, and I think Cody Ford fits into that equation. He'll be a first-round pick, a fringe first-rounder. I've got him going in the first round currently. But the guy that I'm really concerned about and where I'm interested to see where he's taken, out, taken at is Marquise Brown. We talked very highly of him throughout the entire season because, again, he's a speedster. What he lacks in size, he certainly makes up for in breakaway speed. He's shown the ability to get that separation and to make big plays when it counts. A guy who was consistently dependent upon when he was healthy at Oklahoma, but that was, as I said, when he was healthy. How healthy is a guy like Marquise Brown heading into the NFL draft, heading into the combine, I believe he's first-round worthy. But because of that injury, it's something that's been reoccurring for him this season. How far will it set him back? I want him to be a first-round pick. I would love for Oklahoma to have three. But at this point in time, I just don't see it happening. And I've got Brown falling into the second, maybe the third round. I'm going for the second right now, though. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any way he falls into the third. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. I just, there's no way. There, there's enough film on him to justify a early second, late first round pick based on film alone. I do agree. I think it's very important that he gets healthy by the combine and is able to run at the combine. Uh, but he also has pro day. Uh, I feel like the combine is bigger for a guy like Kyler Murray than it is Marquise Brown, because really with Marquise, they want to see his speed. They want to see his speed firsthand. They want to be down there. They want to clock him. Um, and so it's important that he runs. I still say he's first round. I'm just going to go out and throw that out there, that he's a, he's a first round guy. I say he's late first round, like 27 through 30, 32, 31, somewhere around there. I don't even know how many picks there are in the first round anymore. I think there's 32. 32. But, um, okay, I was close. There. All right, I was on. Um, but I think he's in those later first round picks. I think Cody Ford would give him maybe G that mid-20s in my opinion um, but I, I think the only, only place we're going to differ at in this moment is on, on Hollywood I, I definitely see him no way I see him as a third rounder I think he's gone by the end of the first round but if not one of the top five picks in the second round yeah he, I, I'm not gonna say he is or he isn't because I do believe he's first round worthy I just know there are some concerns there and and if we're looking at the grand scheme of things it's going to depend upon his measurables how well yeah. does he do when that clock is on how high can, it's it's all going to depend on those measurables for him yeah uh, let's do certain nation the online podcast for heartland sports heartland-sports.com okay so i guess if we're going to stick with this uh topic of oklahoma football as we hit mid-january um there's just so much going on out there I guess the next pressing question, if you're an Oklahoma football fan, is, you know, where does Oklahoma stand 
in the Jalen Hurts sweepstakes. Again, I'm going to be honest with you. We're recording this at uh, at 8:15 Central Time on on Tuesday night. I thought Jalen Hurts would have made an announcement by this time. Uh, he spent time this weekend at Maryland, time at the University of Oklahoma. He, we know he was in Miami. I think Florida out on him at this point um, because I, I, I think they already got a transfer quarterback. Um, I think, I mean, it's crazy to me that the odds on favorite that Vegas is releasing for Jalen Hurts does not include the University of Oklahoma. I don't know what that means. I don't know if there's inside information that we're somehow missing out on. But what I do know is I feel like the top three choices are Maryland, Miami, or OU. And while there may be some familiarity there with former quarterbacks, coaches, and offensive coordinators, both at Maryland and Miami, if Jalen's goal is to better himself and put himself on a platform that leads him directly to the NFL, that has NFL guys watching on a weekend and weekend out basis, are in communication with the university, and wants to play for a team that's that's college football playoff ready. It's just, it's a no-brainer for me, Rich, and I know I'm biased. I mean, so we're we're admitted homers when it comes to matters like this. But explain to me why you would go to Miami or Maryland. I honestly can't, outside of the connections that have already been established for Jalen Hurts. As many people know, Jalen Hurts, assuming Maryland being the odds-on favorite here, assuming he chooses to transfer there, he would be reunited with Loxley, a guy that he has some familiarity with, because Loxley was the offensive coordinator, if I'm not mistaken, at Alabama for two years. Now, there's a similar mm-hmm. connection going on at Miami. However, the only, the, only, the only thing I see with Miami is if Jalen Hurts goes to Miami, other people in the ACC will have a team to watch besides Clemson. That's it. That's, that's the only reason. But we've also got Tate Martell, who's entered the equation and is also interested and transferring to Miami from Ohio State. I don't know what these guys are waiting on. I thought we would have an answer as well by today, if not tomorrow at the latest. It just doesn't look like that's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't think anyone at this point does besides these two guys. If Miami is that destination, fantastic. If Maryland is that destination, fantastic. But Come to Oklahoma, Matt, like you said, if you're wanting to compete immediately on the national championship scene, if you want to be included in that playoff. You know, one thing that that really surprised me when I was looking or waiting, I should say, for this Jalen Hurts news to come up was TCU at one point in time was the odds-on favorite. When did that happen? Right. Yep. You're right. Yeah, well, regardless. Well, that was early. I mean, that that was was initial. That was initial. I mean, that that was the right. early part of, of this whole process. Well, Hurts takes a visit to Oklahoma. Oklahoma not being included on this list, I, it, it baffles me. It, I'm I'm shocked by it. I'm surprised by it. I'm dumbfounded by it, and I have no words when they're releasing these odds. Again, like you said, maybe they do have some insider information. 
I don't know, but Oklahoma's not there, and it's pretty weird. Yeah, and, you know, and I don't want – I've done this before. I've said this. I don't want to be that guy who just kind of comes out and slams, you know, the the opponents or, or the, the competition here. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm out on a, a porch, and I apologize for background noise. But what, what I am saying is that you're looking at first-year coaches – both Maryland and the University of Miami, you're looking at programs that are starting over. Miami has been lacking in the quarterback position for a long time. Maryland, I mean, I'm sorry. Maryland's just not a player. I mean, when, when Miami at least has a history. There is, other outside of beating Texas, there is no history for Maryland in college football. But, but my, Miami's history is in the 80s. Well, the early 2000s as well. I'm just saying at least there is a history with Miami where there's not with Maryland. I just – the bottom line is it comes down to what Jalen Hurts wants. And I don't think anybody knows that. Other than the fact that I think clearly clearly he wants to play. He's won a national championship. He's been – He's been along for the ride for for two others. He led them there two seasons ago, rode on the coattails of Tua this last year. The kid wants to play, but does he want to prove himself on that national stage one more time? And if that's the case, Miami and Maryland aren't going to get it done for him. Well, the flip side of that equation is if Jalen Hurts enters, enters, excuse me, enters the equation at Miami and changes that culture changes or turns that program around if you will he'll be hailed as a hero and you'll see his stock begin to soar as far as oklahoma is concerned with jalen hurts i think the biggest question you have to ask is does jalen hurts fit what oklahoma is trying to do oklahoma is recruiting these athletic quarterbacks who can run the ball but they're also accurate deep passers that's what this team is built to do does Jalen Hurts fit that? On the surface, the, the answer is no, because we've seen Hurts not necessarily be the most accurate of passers. That's not to say he can't throw the ball, but he was in a system at Alabama that worked for him with the, the quarterback draws, with these designed plays to get him into space and let him do what he does best which is run and survey the field before making that decision. Can Jalen Hurts throw? Yes. Is he the most accurate passer on the planet? No. And and that's the knock against him with this Oklahoma offense and these rumors of him potentially being interested in coming and playing in a Sooner jersey. Well, and you know my stance on this because back when I was in the in Oklahoma and we were recording these um, these shows live, you know, face to face, I was not in favor of a guy like Jalen Hurts coming into Oklahoma for all the reasons that you just specified. Specified. To me, it wasn't worth missing out on a guy like Austin Kendall, who has the opportunity to be a two-year starter. Even last week, when I recorded by myself, I, I brought this up again. But now that Austin Kendall has he's he's got more than one foot out the door. He has a bag packed. I would be surprised if he doesn't show up at Auburn or North Carolina next year as their quarterback. But with Austin Kendall gone, Kyler Murray gone, I don't 
I mean, I'm I'm super excited about Spencer Rattler, but I'm not super excited about handing the keys of this offense with what you've got returning at the skill position. I'm not excited about giving that over to a true freshman. I mean, I think there's a there's a danger in getting caught up in the Trevor Lawrence mania, but maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But the reality is Jalen Hurts, for what I felt about him. I said that he, I, I, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but just to give some some backstory to what I'm about to say. I said if Oklahoma pursued Jalen Hurts, they would lose Austin Kendall. That's happened. Now you have to land Jalen Hurts because with Austin Kendall gone, Hurts is your best option out there. I mean, he, he's the best option Oklahoma has to this point, in my opinion. And I'm not 100% convinced that Austin Kendall has a bag packed, okay? I'm, I'm going to refute that statement that you made. And it's because of the one thing that you've already mentioned. If Austin Kendall does choose to say, which I do believe um, is likely, I, I say it's 50-50 at this point in time. And I thought it was contingent to begin with because the whole Jalen Hurts saga began to break loose and gain some steam. And then Oklahoma's name was thrown out there. The pieces started adding up that Austin Kendall would leave the University of Oklahoma and pursue the starting job elsewhere. But Austin Kendall has been very loyal to this program, number one. And I believe that Lincoln Riley and the coaching staff have in turn been very loyal to Austin Kendall. You've got this other side, this other statement that that is warring with this idea of, Austin Kendall leaving and Jalen Hurts coming, and it's a statement from Spencer Rattler, who isn't even on campus yet, saying that Lincoln Riley mentioned to him that they were not taking any other quarterbacks in this recruiting class, in the 2019 class, whether that was a freshman or whether that was a transfer. That, again, was before the Jalen Hurts saga broke loose, but I don't want to say sit here and say, well, Lincoln Riley lied to this kid. I don't think he's that kind of person. Lincoln Riley has never done anything in my mind to make me believe that he would manipulate a situation like that or give an incoming freshman this false sense of hope based upon a lie. I'm just not buying into it 100% that Jalen Hurts business and I also am not because of I'm not buying because I'm not buying into Jalen Hurts I'm not buying into Austin Kendall being 100% out the door although I would say the chances of him leaving seem greater at this point in time than than they would have just a couple of days ago well I think two AKA things on that um <laughs> I think two things on that the the first thing is when 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 Spencer Rattler said that, that was in the midst of the field sweepstakes, which, by the way, I think you and I on our last podcast together made a bet over that, did we not? We did. All right. And, and which one of us won? I always win. What are you talking about with it? <laughs> no, right, I, well, I, I straight up lost this one, and we had wagered barbecue. Um, so I will gladly yes. treat you to a little bit of Oklahoma barbecue. When you get home. Yeah, I'll have to wait until the end of March, unfortunately. But whatever. Uh, the point is, I think that was in the midst of, of that Justin Fields 
sweepstakes. And, and I think it became clear to everyone that, and I don't know which way it goes, but either Justin Fields didn't want Oklahoma or Oklahoma didn't want Justin Fields. Maybe they didn't want each other, but one of the parties or both parties were not interested in that. So I think when Spencer Rattler said that, he probably was was saying information that was given to him on, on that basis. I, I don't know that you can speak to a transfer of a quarterback who hasn't even declared himself, you know, in the portal to leave his university at the time. But I think when Jalen Hurts' name hit that portal, everything changed. There's no way. It, again, I'm just throwing this out there for my opinion. There is no that Lincoln Riley and staff take time to meet with Jalen Hurts if they don't want Jalen Hurts, if they don't see a way he fits within their program. And I think that's what Austin Kendall, I agree. I agree 100% about Austin Kendall's loyalty to the University of Oklahoma. I don't know that you can go on board with Lincoln Riley's loyalty to Austin Kendall. And what I mean by that is, no, he wasn't better than Baker Mayfield. He certainly wasn't better than Kyler Murray, but it was his time. And to see that there's also shopping for another potential transfer quarterback to come in, I think Austin just needs a, a little bit of a reset, and he's out for that reason. Well, Matt, I want to go back to something that, that you had said earlier, um, because you're going to toot your own horn about the transfer business and Justin Fields, but at the same time, this is complete side tangent at this point. If you go back in time, I told you that Trevor Lawrence would be the starting quarterback at Clemson, and you had very kindly reminded me that they had a quarterback. <laughs> in fact, an experienced one um, who was an upperclassman. Like I said, just tooting my own well, horn. Now, yeah, you're Trevor absolutely Lawrence right. Became the no, starter right. you, you, in that situation. You, you Regardless, that. you were spot on. You were spot on there. The only mistake you made with that is you didn't put it, you didn't put a bet up on it. I know, right? When when it comes to Austin Kendall, you know the only thing I can say is regardless of which which decision he makes, and at this point in time, I think it would be difficult for him to return to the University of Oklahoma because it's public knowledge that he's entered the transfer portal. What does that say to your teammates? What does that say about your ability to lead a locker room all of a sudden? I think it distracts from that. It actually takes a lot of that ability away, in my opinion. And now Oklahoma is sitting here looking at Tanner Mordecai as that potential next starter who would be a redshirt freshman for Oklahoma with Spencer Rattler playing the backup role and potentially seeing time in four games due to the new rules where he gets some experience on the collegiate level under his belt before taking over or at least competing and pushing a guy like Mordecai to the brink before they declare a, a starter two years from now. Yeah, I that that's a great point. If if Jalen Hurts doesn't come to Oklahoma, if they don't uh, accept a transfer from somewhere else, where does that leave this university with the quarterback position? I think Tanner Mordecai is a guy that goes into the spring as the as the starting quarterback, really, because there's no other competition around him. And that's why I think it's crucial for them to land a guy like Jalen Hurts. If he's again, 
this is why I said it wasn't a good idea to go after Hertz because the risk was greater than the reward if he comes here. But now you're looking at, as it stands right now, you're looking at spring camp with Tanner Mordecai. Spencer Rattler's not even going to be here until the summer. He he, there is less than less than ten percent chance, in my opinion, that Spencer Rattler will be ready to take the controls of this offense in 2019. He's a 2019 kid. I mean, excuse me, a 2020 kid. He's a guy that you spend this year invested in getting his body and his mind right for this level of play. Jalen Hurts is a one-year guy. Makes sense to bring him in, and you've got Spencer Rattler for ready to go the year after 2020. Without Jalen Hurts, then Tanner Mordecai is a one-year guy. And then you go into a quarterback competition a year from now with a fully in, involved Spencer Rattler, who's got a year in the training in, in the in the training room, a year in the in the uh, in the meeting room, knows the players, has a repertoire. But all of that here, here's the thing: without sounding, without attempting to sound super harsh, all of that means you're wasting what I believe would be the final year of Trey Sermon the final year of Kennedy Brooks, the final year of Grant Calcaterra, and so forth. And now you've got a, a great group of young guys coming up in the receiver position. But, man, you, you've got a team right now that's ready just to jump in there and compete to win a, a fifth consecutive Big 12 championship. And I think that all takes a serious shot without Jalen Hurts now. That's just – I mean, that's just – I mean, I hate to be, you know, Debbie Downer in, in late January, but – the way thing, if this roster stays the way it is with Austin Kendall gone and Jalen Hurts not a part of it, there's 2019 as the clear front runner in the Big 12 Conference. Yeah, I can't refute that. But for me, you're saying you you waste this year with these running backs, but look at what you gain in the receivers. Spencer Rattler's coming in with Jaden Hazelwood. Hazelwood, however his name is truly pronounced. I've always said Hazelwood because that's what it looks like to me. The nation's number one receiver, Spencer Rattler, the number one quarterback, Theo Weiss, the number three receiver, Trajan Bridges, the number 11 receiver, and then Austin Stogner, the number – well, he was the number one tight end. I've got him here as number three on – um, two, four, seven sports. When we look at what Oklahoma is bringing in, I don't know that it's a year wasted as much as it is a year of preparation for what is to come. Because I will gladly settle for one eight and five, nine and nine and four type season if Oklahoma brings this group in and the following year is back in the college football playoff and actually gets out of that semifinal. Yeah, but see, here's here's the difference between what you're saying and what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they could do that this year. I'm, I mean, I'm saying they they in this coming year, this coming season, 2019, they don't have to wait till 2020. They can they can be in position to make a run again in 2019, and then you can still be in position to do that in 2020. But I mean, the same scenario. It's just. You don't have to waste this year. That's that's the point I'm making. 
I I see your point, but I mean we're going to talk about the offense all day, and we're going to neglect the defense because the defense is the one that needs to make the improvement in order for Oklahoma to be competitive to to get to that next level on the national scene. And I know you're not going to disagree with me here. Well, hey, speaking of defense, I've got some some breaking news here. Um, you know, we one of the one of the segments that we do when you and I are on here together is our top post of the week, which was this this last week was actually just happened on on uh, yesterday, I guess, was Brian Odom uh, changing his mind and actually leaving Missouri to come back to Oklahoma to be the outside linebackers coach, which was the position vacated uh, by Tim Kish. That was our top post. Today we learned that they hire Roy Manning away from UCLA to coach cornerbacks, but it's breaking right now that uh, Oklahoma has released their profiles for their coaching staffs, and missing from the profile now is Bob Diaco, who had kind of come out of the press box out of a out of an analyst role onto a sideline coaching role, and apparently is no longer with the coaching staff just because based on the fact that his name is no longer listed amongst Oklahoma's coaching staff. Currently you have with the defensive coaches, Shane, uh, sorry, that's offense. You have Alex Grinch, the new defensive coordinator, Ruffin McNeil, which I'm a little bit surprised. He, he's a holdover. Uh, Calvin Thibodeau, Brian Odom, and Roy Manning. Three out of those five coaches are new guys. Is that enough to bring a new mentality to this defense? Second question is how long will it take that, mentality to infiltrate in the personnel. I still believe that there will be some defensive personnel gone from this team by the time they hit the field this coming fall. I still believe they're going to kind of prune the tree a little bit, so to speak. But um, just an interesting interesting thought there on Oklahoma's defensive side of the ball with Bob Diaco being gone. And, you know, that, that mindset, that, that mindset has to begin in spring. Uh, but uh, you Oklahoma's defense, here's the thing, Oklahoma's defense is young enough uh, personnel-wise that they can buy in. That, that's the good news about having all youngsters is they, they can buy in. But the one thing I've always said is that you, you can't coach effort. And that's where, I, I, to my, to, in my opinion, that's the biggest step that this defense has to make. They, they've got to change not just their mindset – of what they're going to do schematically, but they've got to change their mindset and what they're going to offer with effort. One thing I do like about, I don't want to use the term overhaul because it isn't. Alex Grinch stepping in, I believe that he's being brought in to change the culture. What was in the locker room clearly wasn't working and was on a steady decline under Mike Stoops, and I still think Mike Stoops is a phenomenal coach. It just, he and Oklahoma weren't meshing anymore, and a change had to be made. Did it have to be made <laughs> mid-season? I, I don't know about that one, because the numbers certainly didn't improve from there, but you bring in a guy like Alex Grinch, whose mottos have really been aggressiveness and speed, that's something I, I felt like we had underneath, um, I can see his face, Brent Venables. It was that same mentality, more so speed and flowing to the ball, I would say, were more of his mottos. So you've got a guy like Grinch coming in, speed and aggressiveness, 
And I believe it will translate. These guys want to buy into something. If you haven't visited Twitter over the course of the season, you've probably been living under a rock. But we've seen the way that these players respond to change, and I'm expecting that to continue with this new era on the defensive side of the ball. It is a culture, it is a mentality, and it's something that that just needed to improve effort. I don't know that I'm willing to go there, Matt, because that that almost feels – I don't want to criticize you in this way, but it it almost feels personal. Oh, no, it's not personal. I mean, I – Not personal to me, but, but personal to the players. Well, no, but I think it is. I mean, you, you go back and you look at uh, Buki's tweet once Mike Stoops got fired and it was, you know, uh, it was, hey, it's different when you love the coach you're playing for um, in, in reference to Lincoln, uh, to Ruff McNeil taking over that, that defensive coordinator position. It is personal. It, 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 it was a, there was a legitimate lack of effort from these guys when things didn't go their way. They didn't like Mike Stoops, so there was a lack of effort. They got pushed around after Mike Stoops got fired. There was a lack of, of effort. Getting rid of Mike Stoops changed nothing for this defense. Changed nothing other than the fact that he wasn't a part of it anymore. So there, uh, there, there is a, a legitimate concern when it comes to effort from these players. And the reason why a guy like Buki, who was a highly rated recruit, I believe has a lot of potential still. But there's a reason why by the end of the season, he wasn't in a starting lineup and he was barely making his way onto the field. And it's because of effort. And those are things that Alex Grinch, those are going to be the biggest task that he's going to have to face. Every defensive back in in the history of football wants to get an interception. Every defensive back ever wants to be more aggressive and going after the ball. They, they want that. They will buy into that. They will like that. But what is this defense going to do when they get pushed around? What's going to happen when it doesn't go their way? Will they revert back to this shell of that we've seen the last two seasons? Or are they going to be able to man up and step up to the challenge? We've not seen Oklahoma's defense. When's the last time you saw Oklahoma's defense just get flat punched in the face and got up and, and fought back? It's been a long time since Oklahoma's it's defense has done that. Years. Be- because the mentality is, and they fold up, the effort goes away when it gets hard. That's what has to change with this defense. And I believe that's why you might see one or two players gone from Oklahoma's defense by the time they hit the field next fall. We got to transition just a little bit. I listen to Center Nation, the online podcast of Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. He's Rich. I'm Matt. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Um, hey, let's, let's let's spend our last 10 minutes or so uh, talking a little bit about uh, Sooner Hoops. Oklahoma currently sitting at 13-3 and three on the season, 2-2 two and two in Big 12. One of the things that I've talked about with this team um, is that they, I feel like they have to run the table at home. They have to go undefeated in Lloyd Noble. They won uh, for the first time on Saturday over a top 25-ranked team, 76-74 uh, over TCU. They've got Kansas State coming in Wednesday night, and then they're on the road for two weeks, uh, sorry, with two games back-to-back at Texas and at Oklahoma State before stepping out of conference play for the Big 12 SEC matchup versus Vanderbilt. Rich, what are some of your general thoughts right now on this basketball team? 
I have continuously said and will continue to say that this team is, is much better than I initially thought they were. Um, I think a lot of that, you know, has to do with the length and the defensive scheme that Lon Kruger's putting out there. But at the same time, is I believe it comes down to physicality in the Big 12. And one thing that Oklahoma has lacked in years past has been the ability to go toe-to-toe with these physical teams. We've seen a West Virginia team come in and bother these offensive threats to the point of pushing them out of a rhythm or forcing them to try to do too much in order to carry the team, and it's worked consistently. I don't see this team having that. Maybe it's the strength and conditioning program that has been brought about where they're not intimidated, they're not scared, they're going to bow up to anybody, but the reality for me, like I said, has been that, that physicality. We're seeing this team really get in there and, and not have any fears when driving to the rim or when going for that offensive rebound. Whatever that may be, this team ha- has done it each and every game from a physical standpoint. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'm going to go back also to just bring up the point again. I love the fact that there's not one guy that you can say, this is the star. This is the guy that has to play, you know, in and out, has to be that man. You, you don't have that guy. There, there's no Buddy Hill. There's no Trey Young. We've said this before, and it just kind of continues to to progress along those ways. I, I love how Kristen Doolittle's coming, uh, doing coming off the bench. Uh, you know, Brady Manick is, and I, I love the Larry Bird comparisons and and what he's bringing to this team. But this is the true definition, the identity of team that you get that you're getting from this Oklahoma. Uh, from from what Alon Kruger's doing this year. The question is, how long can they ride this out? You know, last year we saw them uh, on a super high, and then they get into about this time of year, and then the, the in and out, you talk about physicality, the, 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 the in and out of Big 12 play, we saw the team begin to fade. I think that sticks in their mind as a motivating factor for this year, which we saw them knuckle down against TCU on Saturday and come back and get that win and miss and give, give the frogs credit as we, the night we're recording this podcast, they just went and blew out West Virginia. They hit big shot after big shot after big shot from beyond the arc down the stretch against Oklahoma on Saturday to try to finish off the Sooners. But Kristen Doolittle will not be denied in Oklahoma. They, <laughs> they didn't go away. They never went away uh, where you got Doolittle hitting that, that game winning shot with like three seconds left. That's what we didn't see from this team last year with a guy like Trey Young. But you're seeing it this year. I feel like when I first mentioned to you uh, a couple of weeks ago that I felt that Oklahoma needed to go undefeated in conference play at Lloyd Noble, I kind of feel like you you kind of took that as, yeah, that's a talk to ask, which it is. But do you feel like that's possible for Oklahoma? <sighs> It, it's very much so possible, um, especially after seeing the way that Oklahoma has played Texas Tech and Kansas, the, the two top teams in the Big 12. I think everybody else is beatable on any given night. I think Texas Tech and Kansas are beatable once every three weeks or so. That, that's just how it feels to me because of the style, the brand of basketball that they're currently playing. And 
I mean, credit the, the coaches, credit those players for doing what's asked of them. They're going to be extremely difficult regardless of if they're playing in Lubbock or they're playing in Norman or if they're playing in Lawrence again or in Norman. So can Oklahoma do it? It's possible seeing how close they've played those two teams earlier, but it, it's still extremely difficult to do in what many consider to be the best conference in the nation. In fact, I'm going to throw a little, a little tidbit your way. Oklahoma, not Oklahoma, excuse me, the Big 12 is the only conference in the nation that has, I believe it's the, the RPI, um, all teams are inside of the top 100 in the conference. No other conference can claim that. So it's a tall test, regardless of how you spin it, Matt. Well, yes, I agree. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's easy, but what I, I do believe that you look at the two teams you mentioned, Texas Tech and Kansas, both of those teams, seven points better than Oklahoma, in their home, in their gym, Allenville House, they call that thing in West Texas where Texas Tech plays. Both of them seven points. Bring them to Lloyd Noble. I, I think that all of a sudden Oklahoma puts themselves in a position to win that game. Will they win it? Who's to say? Like, can they win it? Absolutely. I also think this is a year that this is probably the worst West Virginia team that Bob Huggins has had since the Mountaineers joined the Big 12. I think they're susceptible both in Norman and in Morgantown. I feel the same way about Baylor. I think Baylor is a team susceptible uh, to a loss. Iowa State, they're, they're good. Don't, don't get me wrong. Iowa State is good. But is even Kansas, they're not the Kansas of years past. I think Oklahoma has a chance. All that said, this, this game against Kansas State on Wednesday night becomes – must-win territory, not only to protect your home court, but to, to stay within the Big 12 conference race. If you're going to lose a game at home, it needs to be that game to Texas, game to Kansas, game to Texas Tech. You don't need to lose to Kansas State at home and still have aspirations to win the Big 12. Right. Oklahoma kept those Big 12 hopes alive when they were able to beat Texas Tech and get Texas Tech, excuse me, Texas Christian and secure that first top 25 win. I think they get a real test in Kansas State. Kansas State's always given Oklahoma problems. And again, I, I go back to that physicality because that's exactly what Kansas State brings to the floor each and every night. We're going to learn a little bit about this team and not just their toughness physically, but their mental toughness when these two teams collide. Yeah, you know, I want to just throw back real fast on one, one thing that you said as well, talking about RPI and so forth. I think I think at this point, again, we're, we're mid-January, still a long way to go to mid-March, but I, I think the Big 12 could easily at this point look at getting eight of the 10 teams into the NCAA tournament. Right now, Texas Tech atop the Big 12 standings at 4-0, Kansas State just behind them, 4-1. And then you get into the logjam between Oklahoma, TCU, Baylor, Kansas State, Iowa State at 2-2. Two and two. That's why this game against Kansas State becomes very important. The Wildcats 12 and 4 on the season, Oklahoma 13 and 3 on the season. Not a game that should be a cake for the Sooners, but a game that Oklahoma absolutely has to win because this is one of those that if you let if you let one game gets it away, it's going to be a struggle to get it back on the road. Yeah, I completely agree. But here's what I'll say final comment about the team is you know you're doing something right 
when you lose a game to begin the week, pick up a win at the end of the week, and still rise in the rankings. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that that's – I think where Oklahoma fans are right now coming around to this team, football season has ended, oh, wait a minute, 13-3, and three, nationally ranked. Maybe we should check them out. I think where the fans are, I think also the national media is as well because I, I think Oklahoma is a program that a lot of people, fans included, just kind of threw them away from. Because there was no Trey Young, there was no big superstar name on this team. That people are just now to use an old, an old uh, you know, theme of the season for Oklahoma. People are just now beginning to take notice of this team, what they're doing, what they're capable capable of. And I think it speaks to Lon Kruger and his ability to adapt to his personnel because he's doing it defense first. This is a hard team to shoot three-point shots against. It's a hard team to rebound against. When they're on doing what they do best, they're going to make the game ugly. And if you can make a game ugly enough, you can be in a chance to win just about any. Well said. Well said, Matt. Well, all righty then. I think that's going to pretty much wrap it up for us. Any any final thoughts or final words you want to throw out there, Rich? No, man. Just just say it's been good uh, chatting with you, and hopefully we can continue to connect and make this a consistent uh, episode, a, a consistent podcast when I'm not traveling and you're not traveling. Yeah, I'm always going to be traveling. <laughs> but we're hey, technology is good. We're keeping up with it. Sooner Nation Podcast. He's Rich. I'm Matt. You can find us at heartland-sports.com, heartland-sports.com. Also, you can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. We'd love to hear your thoughts, comments, suggestions, even snide remarks. Uh, give us your feedback. Give us ideas, questions, or uh, thoughts for the next episode uh, next week. For, uh, for tuning in, whether you're doing it on, on iTunes or um, talk to you or if you're streaming it right there on the website. Have a fantastic night. Have a great week. Boomer Sooner, everybody.